0: Impact
1: over intentions.
0: A faculty member told me I was brave for admitting I was the first in my family to go to college. I don't understand why. and common. I spent my whole life having to ask permission to celebrate my holidays. As a college student, I often felt that I needed to justify how religious I was in order to have the luxury to have the day off on my major holidays, something that no one is expected to do for majority group holidays. Invisible like and, and nebulous. Faculty, when the
1: moving truck everyone, showed up at our new home in Davidson, an older white woman with a child in a stroller stopped, waited for us to come back outside from inside the house, and barked at us without so much as a simple hello, moving out or moving out. I
0: have control over when my class does and doesn't meet, but in class my job becomes harder for students.
1: I had a
2: professor say that she could tell English wasn't my first language from my essay. A black man walked into our campus office. Another student worked and greeted him and said, are you the new football coach? You could see on his face he just wanted to sigh. He said, no, I'm a new professor.
1: We were made aware of our hypervisibility and undesirability. We are here to put the microscope to the microphone with our podcast. So let's talk about microaggressions.
2: The term microaggressions was first coined by African-American psychiatrist and Harvard professor Chester Middlewood Pierce, who defined microaggressions as a subtle, standing, and often automatic and nonverbal put-downs directed towards people of color, often unconsciously.
0: According to Daryl Wing Sue and Lisa Beth Sponierman in the 2020 second edition of their book, Microaggressions in Everyday Life, while early theorizing focused solely on racial microaggressions, they can be expressed toward any marginalized group member and are typically linked to racism, sexism, genderism, heterosexism, classism, and ableism. The study of microaggressions has expanded recently to include other forms of oppression and accompanying microaggressions such as transgender, queer, religious, and intersectional microaggressions.
1: Micro refers to the interpersonal, micro-level context of the act, and aggressions refers to the insults, invalidations, and assaults that may manifest as verbal or non-verbal behaviors that cause indirect, social, and relational forms of harm, such as exclusion with or without intentions to do so. I once overheard a conversation in which a white man wondered aloud about the role and place of white men in academia as the future unfolds. I thought to myself, seriously? You are not a minority or an endangered species. You are not outnumbered or even close to being outnumbered. You still make upwards of 70% of the professoriate. Not only that, but whiteness is embedded in our systems and institutions. It's so normalized that you don't even see it. Microaggressions are verbal and nonverbal interpersonal exchanges in which a perpetrator causes harm to a target, whether intended or unintended. These brief and commonplace indignities communicate hostile, derogatory, and negative slights to the target.
0: Microaggressions value the target's perception in identifying harm, as perpetrators often are unaware that they have engaged in an exchange that demeans the target impact over intentions. So let's get started.
2: My name is Ren Healy. I'm a member of the class of 2023. And over the past year, I've been participating on Student Government's Academics Committee. While I was on this committee, I teamed up with Julia Bauer to start an initiative in support of anonymous grading practices at Davidson. Recently, we had the chance to team up with the Davidson Microaggressions Project to create a post summarizing the benefits of anonymous grading, and the ways to implement anonymous grading strategies in our Davidson community. So as sort of a follow-up on this post, we're trying to meet with some Davidson professors to discuss what anonymous grading looks like in action. And with that, I will turn it over to my cohort, Basil.
0: Thank
1: you. Yeah, I'm Basil, also class of 2023. I'm associated with this directly through the Davidson Microaggressions Project. And joining us today is Assistant Professor of Political Science at Davidson, Dr. Melody Crowder-Meyer. If you'd like to provide any additional context to specifically what you do within political science, because it's interesting and also kind of relates to everything we're talking about, I invite you to to share anything that feels important.
0: Yeah, so I both teach and do research on various topics in political behavior looking at things like the media and public opinion and things like that. I also teach, and most of my research focuses on unequal representation in various ways. So I teach courses on women in politics and racial and ethnic minority, focusing on American politics specifically. My research really is aimed at trying to understand why we have a bunch of people in elected office who don't share the characteristics of the populations that they represent, and I'm interested both in kind of the psychological reasons for that, so looking at how voters figure out who they want to vote for and the implicit biases and explicit biases that can inform, for example, voting for candidates of color, and also the kind of structural reasons for this inequality, whether it's access to fundraising apparatus or party norms and access to the various routes to power that already kind of exist and are really only reaching out to traditional candidates who come from particular types of groups. And so I think both of those kind of dimensions of my research certainly have informed how I think about teaching and how I think about how I structure my classroom. And of course, in part as well, my use of anonymous grading, because I think that there is both a psychological reasoning for that as well as kind of a structural reason for that.
1: All right, awesome. Perfect. Already jumping into the anonymous grading. So, Ben, take us away to segue into that.
2: Great. You mentioned some of your research interests and topics you cover in class. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about the structure of your class, whether you do lecture-style teaching, discussion-based teaching, and how anonymous grading fits into your particular pedagogy.
0: Sure, absolutely. So, my classes all have some mixture of lecture and discussion. More of my lower level classes might have a little bit heavier component that is lecture-based, although they also all have a lot of discussion content. As we move up into some of the higher level classes and certainly seminars, those are primarily discussion-based. I use anonymous grading in all of my courses. There are certainly some types of assignments that are a little bit trickier to anonymize, but I apply this to whatever assignments I can across all of the kinds of courses that I teach.
1: Okay, awesome. Yeah. And so with kind of this whole anonymous grading, it's a fairly new conversation. When I look online, all the resources I see are within at -hmm. least the last decade, if not two years, basically. So when were you introduced to this? And yeah, what was your introduction to this idea and method?
0: Sure. So... One of the professors I worked with in graduate school at Princeton, which would have been about a decade ago, was using anonymous grading, although he didn't sort of tell us any particular reasons why, but at least from that experience, I kind of knew logistically how it was possible to do. And then once I started teaching my own classes, I guess I've always used anonymous greeting, and I think it probably came in large part because of both the kind of research that I focus on and my understanding of the biases that can really hinder representation from that, and also, I guess, maybe also my own experience as a college student. On the research side, my first major research presentation looked at how party leaders influenced whether women ran for office. And one of the things that I find is that there are a lot of assumptions that party leaders make about male and female candidates that lead them to recruit men to run for office more than they recruit women. So they sort of want to run. They assume women will have a harder time winning. They have all of these kind of implicit assumptions that they don't even necessarily verbalize or know that they have, but that are shaping and making unequal the kinds of resources that they are providing to potential candidates. And so it very naturally follows from that that the same kind of thing can happen in the classroom. Assumptions about what a student is capable of might shape the way that I see their work. And so it kind of followed naturally that I would want to try to avoid that in seeking to have a fair process. I think it's also the case that when I was in college, I didn't have access to a lot of the hidden curriculum information that people with a different set of parents or high school experiences might have come in with. So I didn't know, for example, that asking a professor for an extension was a thing you could do until literally the semester I graduated. Like when I found that out my senior year, I was like, wait, what? Like students have been just turning things in late and they can do that? Like I, it would never have even entered my mind that that's a thing that a, a student could have access to. And so as I started teaching, it became clear that there are many expectations that some students come into college with about how they will maneuver through the college system. I certainly didn't have as a student and I recognize many of my other students didn't have either. And so I think realizing that that inequality existed also made me really cognizant of wanting to think about how to not combat. And I mean, I'll admit, I probably also benefited from a halo effect a bit in college too, right? Like I was the nerdy wannabe professor kid. So I was really engaged in my classes and sometimes I would turn in papers or turn in work That would get an A and I was like that's not as good as I did on that other paper that also got an A, right? And so I didn't realize it at the time, but I think that very clearly was a halo effect coming from sort of other assignments or engagement that I had in class. And anonymous grading really helps to make sure a student who happens to have an advantage in a class for one assignment for whatever reason doesn't end up then getting that advantage to kind of make all of their work sparkle as they continue through the semester in an unfair way.
2: Great. And I mean, you mentioned how representation party leadership can potentially result in more equal outcomes for people that are interested in politics and really have the drive to participate in that way. Since you've started implementing anonymous grading at school, have you seen any measurable beneficial outcomes for your students post-implementation? I know that's possibly a hard question to answer. I'm just curious.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely, I really like good social science. And so I'm all for, you know, testing the effects of this. In all honesty, though, I've done anonymous grading since I started teaching. And so I don't have kind of a before and after that I can compare to say that it affected certain students in certain ways. Although there is definitely experimental research, some of which is in your piece that you posted up on the microaggressions project blog, that does show that there are sort of measurable effects. I will say that when I engage with anonymous grading and I sort of reach the point in the grading process where I'm done grading, I have a cycle or a letter grade and I'm anonymizing it so I can put it in my grade book, I am regularly surprised by the name that is associated with a particular paper or a particular exam. So sometimes I think I know who's it is, you know, and then I go to put it in. I'm like, oh no, that, that wasn't their paper at all. Other times I have a picture in my head of a student who maybe has been struggling on per- previous assignments and they turn in a paper and it's excellent and it's really exciting to sort of have that surprise of like, oh, young adult is doing better than I, you know, would have anticipated. And other times there are students who I've had in the past, maybe, and who are really strong and who earned lower than what I would have otherwise expected. And so I think in all of those surprises that I have, there's evidence that my implicit expectations of that student could have influenced the grade that I gave them if it wasn't anonymous. So certainly that happens in every class, at least sometimes during the semester that I have either happy or maybe less happy um, surprises when I de-anonymize.
1: Which is kind of a reinforcement of your belief that this method is doing what it's supposed to do. So that's definitely awesome to be able to see. Are there any instances where you experience either practical challenges with this or ideologically you have something where you're not sure about the implementation?
0: I mean, so practically speaking, I guess... One main challenge is that, of course, there are going to be some assignments that you can't anonymize. So, oral presentations or video. I'll sometimes have students produce videos or things like that for classes. Of course, I'm going to know which students produce those. And I have other techniques that I use to make sure that my grading is as fair as possible in those contexts as well. But certainly, there are some types of assignments I haven't figured out how to anonymize yet. Another practical challenge is just inculcating students into the norms that enable anonymous grading. So. Most of the time, the way I have students do anonymous grading, for example, if it's a paper, they put their name on the cover page. And then before I grade, I flip all the cover pages to the back. I write a little ID number on the top of the second page, and then I up and I grade them that way. It requires that students learn not to put their name in the running header on every page, you know, and follow instructions about that. So that takes a little bit of time for students to get used to. Although certainly if it was adapted Davidson wide, then it would probably make this process a little bit simpler. Maybe the only other, I don't know if it's a practical concern or just something that I have noticed is that it can also result in some frustration from students who are particularly strong because it does sometimes happen that I'm surprised by the grade that was earned by a student who just really outstanding grades, but maybe didn't turn in their best effort on a particular paper, which makes sense, right? We all have things that are not our best effort. And so sometimes I think students who have probably benefited from the halo effect a little bit might have some pushback about grades that are less consistent with what they're accustomed to. But even though I haven't had a whole lot of problems with, it's, it's just something that I had to come up with a challenge, maybe does come up occasionally.
2: Your mention of students who become sort of accustomed to the halo effect is really interesting. I haven't heard that from other professors it makes me wonder whether you received any other feedback from students regarding your anonymous grading practices, because clearly you're very purposeful about implementing these practices in the first place.
0: I've definitely had students a positive way about it. I think another reason that it's helpful, you know, I teach political science, I teach American politics, It, like really most fields, I suppose, is inherently political, right? And so people have maybe especially fears and worries in a classroom that a professor is going to care about their ideology or care about the comments that they may have made in class that differ from the professor's ideology. A, I try to be very clear with my students that I don't. If it's well supported with evidence you can believe whatever you believe supported by evidence, but you know I think that sometimes I've gotten positive feedback about anonymous grading because it helps students feel like there's some protection in place if they have expressed in class a view that maybe is not the dominant view whether that is a liberal view or a conservative view, that that isn't necessarily going to affect how I'm viewing their response to an exam answer. So that's another place where I've seen some positive feedback from students. Certainly it is also true that in the same way that there can be a positive halo effect, I think some students really do get trapped by a negative halo effect especially when they're first starting college, or especially if it's their first class in a discipline, like their first poli-sci class, or maybe even just their first class with me, right? I have a different kind of assignment than a different poli-sci professor does, and so when you're first getting used to a professor, or if you come in without that same set of experiences that somebody from the next fancy high school over has, you might have a learning curve. So I've also you know, gotten some positive feedback from students who feel like it enables them to kind of shake off a rough performance that may have happened and not have that follow them through the entire semester. They all have stuff come up, somebody gets sick, something bad happens to a member of their family, whatever. You don't want a crappy result from your first test to be the thing that then kind of makes the teacher, the professor, think that you aren't strong throughout the rest of the semester. And so I think that students can recognize the, the that they have to kind of shake off their bad performance and move forward, I hope.
1: <laughs> so it seems like students are generally pretty receptive to it. I've had a couple classes at Davidson where he's utilized and I, I really enjoyed it. That was a philosophy class. I'm wondering, so it's still not super common across the board, how prominent is it within specifically political science as a department?
0: Oh, I know that actually quite a few members of my department use anonymous greeting. I know especially members who have used Moodle to do exams, which is something I've only just started to figure out. But if you use Moodle to do exams, then it's a really quite simple process to just anonymize everything. And so I know quite a few of the members of my department have done that. I haven't done kind of a formal census. I don't know how everyone uses or how everyone grades, but certainly it's something that at least probably about half of my colleagues who I kind of know for sure have used anonymous grading in some capacity.
2: Great. And then I guess pulling back to a bigger picture view, from your time starting at Davidson, do you have any reflections on how the conversation has changed or evolved regarding anonymous grading?
0: So I guess I might pull back even further and and respond to that in a, a little bit broader way to say that my experience at Davidson, even relative to other places that I've been, is that the professors here are by and large extraordinarily dedicated to teaching and also really eager to try things that they think will make their teaching better. And I think there's also been a lot more disclusive pedagogy over the past several years because of things like the Davidson Microaggressions Project, because of things like the FIRST program that is kind of in the natural sciences but really is is more expansive than that. You know, I've gone to a bunch of seminars and had a lot of discussions with people about inclusive pedagogy, which makes me think that describing or explainable anonymous grading as a piece of inclusive pedagogy is something that would be pretty well received. The other benefit of anonymous grading is that it's really pretty easy to implement. I mean, you don't really have to do anything particularly special to do it. And I think once professors have used anonymous grading, it becomes, for me at least, it is so clearly less stressful to grade when I'm grading anonymously because I can be confident that I am not letting all of those possible implicit biases come into the process that I find it to be actually much more pleasant process. So I think that it's something that Davidson faculty would be very open to in terms of a broader conversation.
1: Yeah, that's definitely an interesting aspect of it because we often think about the student's experience with anonymous grading, but this allows the professor to maybe, you know, know that the student is not going to take this in bad faith and be confident that it's, you know, really just an objective response. And like you said, kind of be aware of an elimination of at least most bias that might otherwise be present. So staying kind of with the big picture, we touched on this a little bit, but just kind of to synthesize the aspects of microaggressions projects and your specific work that you do within political science and this conversation of anonymous grading, how do you see this directly relate to diversity, inclusion, and equity, especially as this conversation expands in the Davidson community?
0: Sure. So I think anonymous grading is one piece of a bigger puzzle, right? So Anonymous grading helped me ensure that a student who comes to Davidson with a high school background that is less strong is not penalizing later assignments because they have a steeper learning curve. It can help, it cannot ensure that two students are entering Davidson with an set of skills, right, the equivalent set of skills. There need to be many other steps, of course, in the process of making our pedagogy more inclusive and more equitable. This is just kind of one piece of it. However, as I said earlier, it is also a piece that is, I think, very simple to implement. And so it's the way that we start this process and to move toward inclusive pedagogy. I think in general, we want as faculty members to be grading this work, not grading the student or their background or their connections or whatever else. And so using anonymous grading is a way to make sure that we are doing that. It's always very clear that some students have come into college with lots of experience with a particular type of assignment, and other students haven't. This can help you to kind of help them to get past that. There's also very clear differences in people's level of comfort with academia, right? Some people will start on their first week of college going to every professor's office hours. Like, I wrote an honors thesis, and I think I talked to my professor, who was my thesis advisor, twice the entire time I wrote an honors thesis. So there's just very different levels of comfort with kind of engaging with the resources on campus. And I think those are other things that we need to also be trying to address. There are lots of good inclusive pedagogy strategies that can do that from using clear rubrics, from ensuring you're providing thorough instructions that kind of uncover hidden curriculum stuff, making sure that you list campus resources, students know what they have access to. And something I've done more recently is also including like specific language telling students that they should not and are not allowed to access any resources that they have access to to complete an assignment. So like your are be proofreading your paper because not everybody's parents can proofread their papers and that's not a fair way for me to judge your work, right? So there's lots of other pieces of this that we need to be putting into it as well, but having conversations about anonymous grading also opens the door to being able to have conversations about these other types of issues that also need to be addressed.
1: Absolutely. So that concludes questions that we put up together. But yeah, thank you so much for taking the time to share your experience with this and also with academia as a whole. We really appreciate it.
0: Thank you for joining us on this episode of the DMP podcast. Check out our website at www.davidsonmicroaggressionsproject.org and follow us on social media. Find us on Instagram at DC Microaggressions, on Twitter at DMP underscore Davidson, and follow our Facebook page, Davidson Microaggressions Project.